from the book of Matthew, chapter 21. Jesus and his disciples are coming to Jerusalem. And they arrive at Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sends two of them ahead. Go into that village, he says, and as soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them. He'll immediately let you take them. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Tell the people of Jerusalem, your king is coming. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And so the disciples do as Jesus commands. They bring the donkey and the colt to him, and they throw their garments over the colt, and he rides on it. Most of the crowd spread out their garments down on the road in front of him. Others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them out on the roadside. Jesus is in the very center of the procession, and the people are all shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. They enter the city of Jerusalem. The whole city of Jerusalem is in complete chaos as he enters. Who is this person, some ask. And the crowds reply, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Verse 12, then Jesus enters the temple. And there he begins to drive out all the people who are buying and selling the animals for the sacrifice. He knocks over the table of the money changers. And he upsets the chairs of those who are selling the doves. And Jesus calls out loudly, scriptures declare, my temple will be called the house of prayer and you have turned it into a den of thieves. The word of the Lord. There is perhaps no scripture in our Bibles as revolutionary as this one. This story of the triumphal entry and then Jesus clearing out the temple. I mean, think about Abraham and the battle with the four kings in the book of Genesis. That, that's an incredible story. David killing Goliath. Remember David on the run uh, from King Saul? Do you remember those stories? Great stories about revolutionaries. Elijah, not Elisha, as I said earlier, uh, seeing the battle that was laid out before him. Just a revolutionary. Joshua in the battle of Jericho. Remember that? Hezekiah, 185,000 Assyrians. Jehoshaphat. And the three armies arrayed against him. But none of those stories, none of it is as radical as this passage here. The leaders of the people know this. Mark says it's this event which prompts the religious leaders to begin plotting the death of Jesus. Mark 11 verse 18. Luke says they want to arrest him and they want to bring him to Rome. We're, we're not going to kill him. We're going to let Rome do it, right? Luke chapter 20, verse 19. And John, looking back on this event decades later, he's in his 90s probably as he's writing his story, recollections down. And he sees back in the life and times of Jesus and he sees these events, this triumphal entry and this clearing the temple as being so monumental, so pivotal, so huge in the ministry of Jesus, his best friend, Jesus, that John moves the story of the cleansing of the temple to the beginning of his gospel. 
And everything else is, is predicated on that one story. Now, if you believe that Jesus cleansed the temple twice, that's okay. We can still be brothers and, sis- and, brothers and sisters in Christ. This story, though, this impromptu parade and this passionate riot, it shows up in all four of the accounts that we have of the life of Jesus. All four of the gospel writers write about this. Matthew remembers it vividly. Can you imagine from a tax collector's point of view what it would have been like to have seen Jesus clearing out the temple? That's crazy. Mark, it's totally impressed itself upon his thoughts and his life. As Luke interviews and wit- the eyewitnesses, that's, that's, that's what they're all saying. This was a huge moment. And, and John, looking back on decades, he remembers this event as if it happened yesterday. You think about Spartacus or Toussaint in Haiti, George Washington just to the south of us, Nelson Mandela, South Africa, Mahatma Gandhi, Fidel Castro, Ho Chi Minh, Che Guevara, love him or hate him. No revolutionary figure looms as large in the pages of history as does Jesus of Nazareth. And this moment, this violence in the temple, marks his revolution perhaps more than any other moment in his ministry other than the cross and the empty grave. My father's house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, and you have turned it into a robber's den. I wonder, do I allow those words of Jesus to strike my heart as irrevocably and as radically as they would have fallen on the ears and the hearts of those first century believers? Do we understand how pivotal, how monumental this moment is? Do we grasp the magnitude of what Jesus is accomplishing here at the very beginning of Holy Week? See, a revolution is coming. A revolution is on the way. Israel has suffered greatly in the past under foreign leadership and pagan empires. And the people are longing for an independent homeland, a place that we can call our own, a place not ruled by by Rome or by anyone else, a place for the Jews to call their own. On Friday, I spoke at Riverview, and, and I touched on this idea that in the Jewish mindset... The land of Israel belongs to the descendants of Abraham for all time. It's just there's no shaking. That's what they believe. And no matter what your personal opinion is on the trouble in the Middle East and Israel and Palestine and all of those thorny issues, this is how a Jew views it. This land was promised to them for all time by God. 2 Chronicles 20, O God, our God, King Jehoshaphat prays, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7. And so the people of Israel have this as their foundation. This is our land. And so anyone that comes in and tries to take over is always just a temporary invader. When Alexander the Great arrives with his huge army, a Macedonian army in 333 B.C., surely this Macedonian invasion and this Hellenization of Israel, surely it's a temporary thing, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, it is, because it's like uh, 150 years later or so that God raises up this whole Maccabean revolt. And as, as evangelicals, we don't have those books in our Bibles. Those are intertestamental books. But man, read the books of Maccabees. They're kind of cool, especially if you like, like history. A generation later sees Judas Maccabeus liberating Israel from the foreign invaders and restoring the rightful rule of Israel to her own land again. That event is still celebrated to this day by Jewish people. It's called Hanukkah. And then a few centuries later, Rome is on the rise, and Rome ascends, and Rome is this big, scary, powerful empire. And sure enough, in 64 BC, Roman general Pompey conquers Syria, and he sets up the land of Israel as a Roman vassal kingdom, foreign rule again. And so less than a century later, the people in Jesus' day, they're struggling with this idea, foreign invaders again. But you know what? God's kicked them out in the past. He's going to do it again. And so there's this, this they're itching for this fight. They're, they're waiting for the revolution. They're waiting for the God of angel armies to come and deliver them from Rome. And into this, Jesus rides on a donkey. And you know, there's a lot in Jesus that made people look at him and go, I think he might be the one. I think he might be the one who's going to come and usher in this political revolution and kick out Rome and restore Israel to her glory. In the first years of his public ministry, when he's up in Galilee, Jesus is continually, continually confronting the status quo. And he's got all these Powerful actions that he backs things up with, right? His, his words that inspire, his rhetoric that inspires the crowds. And then, and then he casts out demons and he, and he heals the sick. And, and that guy that used to sit by the temple and, and, and beg, he, he's now walking. Who did it? Jesus. And the people are ready for this revolution. And now Jesus has come down from the north to the very center of it all, to the capital city of Jerusalem, riding in on a donkey. And how could you not remember the stories of Simon Maccabeus, the great uh, guerrilla general, liberating the people from Hellenistic rule, who in 1 Maccabees, chapter 13, verse 51, 150 years before Jesus, says this about Judas Maccabeus. He rode into Jerusalem with praise and palm branches and with hymns and with songs. Simon Maccabeus enters Jerusalem with palm branches and singing. And surely in Jesus right now, history is repeating itself. The enemy will be defeated and driven out. And once more, all the descendants of Abraham will again be free. Surely that's what's happening. And so the songs and the praise and the palm branches, they're all highly symbolic. They're all expressions of the people's desire for Jesus to be a political ruler who will drive out Rome. They want a revolution. That's what the people are longing for. That's what they're hoping for. That's what they're expecting. But <laughs> Jesus is a tricky fella sometimes, and he doesn't always do what we want him to do. So there's this unexpected twist in the Jesus revolution. It says Jesus enters the temple and there he begins to drive out all the people who are buying and selling the animals for sacrifice. The temple? What? Jesus is not focusing on Roman occupiers? 
He isn't spending all of his time dealing with the pagan emperor and his vassal king, the Roman soldiers and their merciless subjugation of the people. He's not dealing with Rome. What's, what's going on here? He doesn't seem concerned at all about emperor worship and all the false gods of the Roman pantheon, Zeus and Apollo and all of those guys. There's a twist in the Jesus revolution. He's focusing on the spiritual problems. Do you want to know how many times in his ministry, Jesus goes up to Fortress Antonia, which is the seat of Roman authority in Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount? Do you want to know how many times Jesus goes up to Fortress Antonia to confront the Roman, liber- the Roman army and the Roman rulers? Go ahead and, and write it down, look it up this week, and, and just count how many times in his ministry Jesus does that. And I, I really, really hope that you can count to zero. You know how many times Jesus goes to the temple to challenge the religious leadership of Israel? Pretty much every time he comes to Jerusalem, a good Jewish boy, I think there's four feasts a year and three years of public ministry, so we know probably at least 12 times. We know as a 12-year-old, he, he got, we get, like, we're, we're, I don't know where your 12-year-olds get lost, but mine don't wind up in church. <laughs> I I just don't see that happening. But that's where Jesus is. He's in the temple. 12 years old. He's challenging the religious leaders. He's challenging the people who have a form of godliness and are just religious hypocrites. There's a twist in his revolution. He calls out loudly. Scriptures declare, my father says, my house shall be a house of prayer. And you've turned it into a den of thieves. And if you don't understand this twist in the Jesus revolution, if you cannot grasp this surprising development in the story, if you fail to comprehend this shift in the focus of Jesus, the direction of his revolution, then you have likely failed to understand Jesus completely. Completely. See, when Jesus comes to town, he changes everything. And it always Starts in the temple. Oh, the religious people hate this. Oh, Jesus, why are you doing this to us? I'm a decent person with just a few problems. Pretty upstanding by and large. Why don't you go after that guy over there? That guy's got real problems. That guy's a a pagan. Why can't you go after the real sinners, Jesus, and just, just leave me alone? I'm a pretty good person. I follow most of the rules, and I've kept most of the law since I was a kid. Why are you bothering me? I'm not that bad, especially compared to those other people who are not in church on Sunday. I'm here, and I'm so I'm not even like one of those people out there that's watching on TV or whatever. Oh, go after the real sinners, Lord, and just leave me alone. And Jesus comes to town. He changes everything. And it always starts with the temple. The religious leaders are are indignant. Matthew 21, verse 15. They say to each other, we've lost. John 12, 19. There's nothing we can do. Look. Everyone's going after him. They begin planning on how to kill him. Luke 19, 47. Mark 11, verse 19. They are not happy with this twist in the revolution. They're furious with Jesus because he's bringing the revolution to the hearts of the religious. People like you. 
people like me. When your heart is growing faint and is given to compromise, when the hopes and dreams and plans you have start to crumble before your eyes, when you're stripped of all your idols and you're left with your foolish pride, you'll know this. Judgment begins. Judgment begins. Judgment begins with the house of God. This world is not your home. We're all just passing through. Sometimes you've got to stand alone to live a life that's true. And though I've loved the things around me, in the end, they just don't satisfy. For I've seen that judgment begins. Judgment begins. Judgment begins with the house of God. Steve Camp. When Jesus comes to town... He changes everything. And it always starts with the temple. Here. And maybe you've been looking at the leadership around you and you've been frustrated with what's going on in our world and, and all the different voices that are crying out and you don't, you don't even know who to believe. And you're thinking to yourself, maybe it's time for a regime change. There's so many ways that we could criticize our leaders, aren't there? Maybe you're looking at the World Health Organization and you're not liking what you're seeing there. Every week they come out with a new understanding of something and they change their minds and what they said eight months ago is not what they're saying now. And right now the World Health Organization is arguing with the CDC about, about where even this virus originated from. And, and you think to yourself, there's got to be, there's some hidden agendas going on there. There's something going on behind the scenes. There's some people that are pulling some strings of power and we don't even know about them and they're using facts to tell tell lies, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, it's time for, time for a change there. And maybe you've been frustrated with the, the United Nations and, and Justin Trudeau's role, Canada's role in that group, and Justin Trudeau spending billions of your dollars and your grandchildren's dollars to try and buy a seat at this table of puppet masters, the United Nations. Have you looked into some of the United Nations resolutions? Maybe it's time for a leadership change there. Maybe you can identify with Pastor Darren a couple weeks ago. He shared where he has got this ongoing disappointment with Dr. Shahab, right? Gets his hopes up and gets them dashed. And maybe you feel that same way. Our provincial health director, his job is not easy. And you certainly do not agree with every decision that he has made. I, I get it. And maybe you think it's time for, for someone else to take leadership. And maybe, maybe it's a little closer to home for you. Maybe you're looking at your pastor and going, man, he's been here four years. And I, I don't know. I think it's time to get our money back or something. I don't know if the pastor knows what he's doing. And you're frustrated with the vision and the direction that the leadership is trying to take this church in. And, and, and you've been going to this church for a long time. Like, who's this guy to come in right in four years later and think that he knows what he's talking about? And so, so you lash out in your frustration and you think to yourself, maybe... Maybe there's time for a regime change. And so you hear the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and you think to yourself, man, I wish that he would do that here. I wish that he would do that in the world. Just ride into town and kick out the Romans. I wish that he would do that in the church. I wish he'd just ride into town and kick out the spiritual leadership that doesn't know what they're... I wish he would do that here in swift current. And when Jesus comes to town, he changes everything. And it starts at the temple. And that's right here. So. Global pandemic. 
Some of you have even come down with it. It's going through our population. It's changed a lot of things here on planet Earth. And as Christians, <laughs> we're kind of conditioned to see change as a bad thing. We, we just are, right? We read our Bibles and we think, it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. And so we're conditioned to see terrible things in the changes that are coming, the things that are being proposed. But is it possible? Is it just possible that the God of angel armies is still in control of planet Earth? Is it possible that this pandemic is not something that's caught God by surprise, that God remains in control behind the scenes, and that this global pandemic is not a judgment on the world? Is it possible that this pandemic is a judgment on the church? Is it possible? Maybe we've been so isolated and so insulated for so long and, and Jesus needs to do something to shake us awake. Is it possible that we've taken church and we've turned it into an idol that has kept us from being radical followers of Jesus? And so Jesus has said, I'm going to take church away from you. Have we forgotten what God wants his church to be like, and we've just made church about what we like? Has the business of the church become more important than the leadership of Jesus? Have we made church about us and our preferences, about how loud we like the volume of the music, about what kind of music we play, about how the pastor preaches, or can that guy not stand still for one moment? And where's the pulpit for crying out loud? about how we have to have our say in the elections that happen every year, and if you won't do it exactly the way that I want you to do it, then what's the point of me even participating in it? So you can go ahead and just do it without my participation. You're not going to do it my way anyways. Or the kitchen renovations that are going on right now. Like, who decided to go ahead with all of that without daring to consult me? Oh, don't they realize how important I am to everything that happens in this church? As the lead pastor at Bridgeway, I got to tell you this, I, I read the Bible and Jesus never really seems to be interested in numbers. Like, like when the crowds get too large, he actually changes the way he preaches in order to drive some people away. He prefers a few who are completely committed to him over a crowd that wants a show, bells and whistles. When Jesus comes to town, he changes everything, and it always starts in the temple. The revolution begins with me. So I really got to ask you some tough questions about your own faith in Jesus right now. Because I sense that for some of you, it's pretty shallow. Do you only follow him when he's doing what you want him to do? Like, are there always conditions attached to your discipleship? Are you secretly disappointed in Jesus 
Because he hasn't answered a selfish prayer of yours in the way that you wanted him to. Are you, are you frustrated? Are you like Jacob wrestling with the angel? Is your relationship with Jesus completely transactional? Like I did my part. I'm obedient, and so you got to come through with your part, Jesus. That's the deal. I've done my part. Now you're upset with him because he doesn't seem to be coming through with his part of the deal. Is that really your faith in Jesus? I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go bury my dad. I'll, I'll follow you, Lord, but I'm getting married next week, so... Got to do that first. Don't come back, Lord, until I'm married, please. Every young person's prayer. When Jesus comes to town, he changes everything. Everything. And he always starts with the temple. The revolution begins with me. And so you desperately need a regime change in your heart. You've been in charge of you for far too long. And the smells and the sounds of the sheep and the cattle are drowning out the song of worship in your soul. You need a revolution. Not out there. Here. In your own heart. And man, I, I got to be honest with you. Because I totally procrastinated on this sermon this week. I, I, I spent time praying and studying and I knew exactly what God wanted to say on Tuesday and then I just, I just left it until like yesterday afternoon because I didn't want to deal with what God wanted to say to me. I studied and prayed over this passage of scripture and it just it seemed again and again that the Lord was saying to me, a revolution starts with you. What does God want from his people? What does he want from his church? And God wants a place of prayer. He wants people who are desperate for him. People who don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. My father's house shall be a house of prayer. And God wants a place where the lost are always welcomed. Not a place where the already saved are comfortable. He wants us to bring his gospel to all the nations, to all the nations. And that means that we got to go. We can't just come to church on Sunday. We got to go and bring the gospel to the lost. We got to step out of our comfort zones. And when people come here, we got to be willing to answer those questions about why we're doing what we're doing. Because I like it. Jesus calls out loudly, Scripture declares my temple is called a house of prayer for all nations, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. He wants a place of prayer to him because it's not about me and it's not about you. He wants a place where other people can come to him, the lost, because it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about a revolution in our hearts. It's about giving him sole ownership and complete authority over me. Welcome to the revolution. When Jesus comes to town in your life, he changes everything. And it always starts with the temple. 
the revolution begins with me.